0: So there's this, uh, this website, it's uh, openbible.info, and if you go there, there's this, this link on the first page that allows you to see what the uh, most frequent Bible verses cited on Twitter and Facebook are right now. So right now we could go there and see what verses people are quoting right now. You can also uh, do this neat thing where you search and see uh, how people have referred to specific verses for the past few days. And so as I was studying this passage, I decided to do that because I knew that this is a verse that's uh, our passage tonight is quoted pretty often and uh, sometimes not in the right way. So let me read you some of the things I found. Judgmental Christians must have skipped Matthew 7. It's one of the easiest rules to follow. This person says a lot more. Just wondering why we as Christians have to rate one another's sins and hold things against one another. Oh yeah, that's right. We're all sinners and none. No, not one is perfect. If I recall, the Bible is quite clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that we all need to take the log out of our own eyes before taking the speck out of another's. Judge not, lest ye be judged. And they close it by saying, have a blessed day. This person says, if we judge, we reap a judgment. Uh, this guy names about four people and then says, they must have deleted Matthew chapter 7 from their memory banks. This lady says, judge me if you want. You aren't hurting me, you're hurting yourself. Matthew 7, 1 through 2. Smiley face. The last one's my favorite. This lady says again, Matthew 7, 1 through 6. This is for you. You know who you are. <laughs> and then she posts a link to an article about how drinking alcohol isn't a sin. And those that I just read, they don't include the, the many, 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 many posts I came across where people just uh, say somebody's name and then just give the reference for the passage. And what these, the, all these things show is that Matthew 7, 1 through 6, especially Matthew 7, 1 and 2, are extremely well known in our culture. Not not just by Christians, also by non-Christians. Even those people that, that would say, say themselves that they hate the gospel, they still know this passage. And they probably quote it to us pretty often. But, just because we're familiar with this passage, and just because other people are familiar with this passage, doesn't mean that we always understand it in the right way. It doesn't mean that we always apply it in the right way. And I think that most of us would probably agree that the way these people are applying this passage is pretty ironic. Because as they quote verses to people telling them not to judge them, they're making a judgment when they do that. They're saying that judging is wrong. And so they're guilty of the same thing. So I hope that tonight, as, as we study what Jesus says to us in Matthew 7, the beginning of Matthew 7, I hope that we're going to come away from this passage, we're going to come away from here tonight, with a more balanced view of what Jesus says to us about judging other people. So let's, let's read our text tonight, and then we will get into it. We're reading Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. If you don't have a Bible, there's some at the end of the rows, and you'll find tonight's passage in those Bibles on page 812. Just entered the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be reading verses one through six. These are Jesus' words to us. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you, Lord, haven't left us to ourselves, but have given us revelation, have given us truth, have even bound it in a book that we can go to a store and buy so that we can learn more about you. And that if that weren't enough, that you've given us your spirit to help us understand it more. So God, we ask that you would send your spirit now to apply your word, to apply your truth to our hearts, to to make us more like Christ calls us to be and and less like we want to naturally be. We thank you for Jesus and and the words that he speaks to us in Matthew 7. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The main point of our passage tonight, the main point of this passage, is that we should be discerning, but not judgmental. We should be discerning, but not judgmental. As we come to this, this kind of new section on the Sermon on the Mount, we finished chapter 6, we're, we're turning now to chapter 7, it's kind of winding down. Uh, Jesus here, I think, is recognizing how we might distort or, or twist what he's taught us so far in the Sermon on the Mount. If you think about uh, the fact that we've talked a lot about Jesus' high standard of righteousness. At one point, he even says that that we need to be perfect. He says, you must be perfect as as, as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's saying that we need to be perfect like God is perfect. That's, That's the standard that he lays out in the Sermon on the Mount. As we see that, we might be prone to take that and twist it and try to, to judge other people with it. might say that, you know, that, that guy gets angry. I also know this, this guy who struggles with lust. My, my neighbors down the street are getting a divorce. This girl lied. This girl did that. You know, these people don't love their enemies. We might be prone to take what Jesus says, which is a good thing, What he's calling us to in Matthew, we might be prone to take that and twist it and use it to judge other people. But there's also another way that we could twist his teaching. Just like he's talked a whole lot about about this this high standard of righteousness, he's also talked about the fact that, that we need to show others mercy, that we need to be forgiving, that we need to be peacemakers, we need to love our enemies. And so some people might be prone to take His words about love and forgiveness and mercy and and use that to to show no judgment at all, to excuse people's sin, to to compromise maybe themselves and their own integrity or the gospel itself in a desire to to love and serve other people. So we we could make mistakes on either side. And I think that Tonight, when we, when we see Jesus in this passage, teaching us about judging other people, he's, he's trying to correct the extremes that we could go to with his teaching. I think he's going to show us that that we can still call good, good and call evil evil. We can still uphold right and wrong. We can still call sin sin. We can be discerning. but at the same time, we, we shouldn't be judgmental. We shouldn't have a judgmental spirit. So let's look at verse 1. Judge not that you not be judged. And whenever we come to a passage like this, whenever we see it uh, tweeted or posted on Facebook, we have to ask, does this verse mean what people think it means? Does it mean what people want it to mean? Does it mean that, that it's, it's not right, it's not okay for us to, to judge anyone for anything ever is that what Jesus is saying when he says judge not that you not be judges he's saying don't make judgments well to answer that question we have to first decide what judge means the word that Jesus uses can be uh, used in a number of different ways it can mean to, to judge judicially so like the supreme court passes judgments cases before them they decide which way it should go they're making a judgment it can also mean to judge morally. This, this is right, that's wrong. The Holocaust was wrong. Uh, you know, feeding a little kitten is right. It can also mean to, uh, to discern, to condemn, or to be, be judgmental, to have a judgmental spirit. So the question is, which one is it? What is Jesus telling us not to do? A lot of people want to say that he's telling us not to make judgments but there's a problem with that the problem is that jesus himself makes judgments we're going to get down to verse six where jesus is going to call some people dogs he's going to call some people dogs he's going to call other people pigs he's doing that because he's made a decision about who they are and so he's saying that they act like these wild animals he also calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers. He calls other people hypocrites. Jesus makes judgments. Now some of you are probably thinking, yeah, but that's Jesus. He, he was God, so it's okay for Him, but it's not okay for me. But the problem with that is that Jesus Himself commands us to make judgments. In John 7.24, He says this. He says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. He's not saying don't judge. He's saying don't judge on outward appearance alone. Instead, make a right judgment. So making judgments isn't only allowed in Scripture. It's actually commanded by Jesus himself. So it wouldn't make sense for in one place Jesus to say, make judgments, and in another place him to say, don't make judgments. It must be saying something else. And I think that that Paul's words... To us, in Romans 14, kind of can straighten this out. Romans fourteen ten through 13 says this. And Paul's using the same word here that Jesus uses. He says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on each other any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. In the context of Romans 14, what Paul is talking about there is he's talking about these people who have taken these issues that aren't central to the gospel, like what we eat or what we drink. And they've elevated those to the status of a central gospel issue. And he's saying that that we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't pass judgment on others for for things that we disagree with them on when they're not central to the gospel. But what's important for us tonight in Matthew 7 is, is how Paul is using this word. He's talking about Being judgmental, about having a judgmental spirit where we condemn somebody for something they do that you know the the gospel or the Bible or God doesn't specifically speak to. Now you might be thinking there's there's a fine line between making judgments, between saying that's right, that's wrong, and being judgmental. So let me tell you what I think the difference is. It's a very, very small difference. But the difference between being judgmental and making judgments is in the motives of our heart when we do them. So when I say, murder is wrong, if I'm saying it because God's word says that murder is wrong, because I recognize that God is the standard of what's right and wrong, he's the judge, his word says it's wrong because we're created in the image of God. If I recognize that and that's why I decide, that's why I say that murder is wrong and not for some other reason. In those situations, I'm making a judgment. I'm declaring what God has said is right and wrong. I'm declaring what God said is right and what God said is evil. But when we do things in a way where we seek to be the judge, where I want to be the standard of what's right and wrong, and so I say that that this thing is wrong because how it affects me, how it makes me feel, how it makes me look. And not because of what God has said about it. When I try to remove him from his place of judge and put myself there, myself is the standard of what's right, myself is the standard of what's wrong. That's when we're making judgments. The difference lies in the motives of our heart. So the next time, I think that the way we we see this in our lives is by asking ourselves this question. The next next time we're prone to make a judgment or be judgmental to someone else, they do something we don't like, we need to ask ourselves, "Do, do I care about this? Does it bother me because I know how God feels about it? Or does it bother me because I want Him to feel the way I feel about it? Does it it bother me how this person acts because God says that how they're acting is wrong? Or does it bother me because I think it's wrong and I want him to do something about it? And that being said, I think we need to be careful of of making the mistake of of letting God deal with them. Sometimes, you know, somebody might do something to us that we don't like, and we think to ourselves, It's okay. I'm not going to say anything to them. I'm just going to let God deal with them. That might be a really good attitude to have. When you say those things, when you think that way, you might really trust God that he is going to uh, exercise his justice on your behalf. Or you could think, well, of course God agrees with me in this situation. I mean, look at what they're doing. He's going to take my side, and so I'm just going to trust that he's going to deal with them because he agrees with me. But we should never assume that that the judge is going to agree with us. In fact, Jesus' warning to us in the second half of verse 1 talks about this, talks about the fact that when we act this way, we are going to be under his judgment. He says, judge not that you not be judged. Jesus is giving us the purpose for his command. He's saying, don't judge so that you won't be judged. And he's going to unpack this in verse 2. Verse 2 says, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This right here, verse 2, it's the theological foundation for the command that Jesus gives us in verse 1. He's saying, this is the reason why I'm telling you not to judge. I'm telling you not to judge because of who God is. And that's the reason for it. The thing we have to ask about this verse is that it says we will be judged. It will be measured to us. So we're not judging ourselves. We're not measuring these things to ourselves. Someone else or something else is doing these things to us. Someone or something else is acting on us in this verse. So who? Who is it? Well, James 4.12 says that there is only one lawgiver and one judge. I don't think we really have to think very hard about who that is. It's God. He's the one who's going to judge us. He's the one who is going to measure to us the measure we use to judge other people. So what he's saying is that when we judge other people, the measure that we use is going to be used for us. If we think about that, we'll we'll recognize that we've seen very similar things in the Sermon on the Mount up to this point. Jesus said that those who show mercy will be shown mercy. He said that those who forgive will be forgiven. And now he's saying that those who judge will be judged themselves. And when we studied those passages, we saw that uh, those who are going to be shown mercy because they show mercy, that showing mercy doesn't earn the mercy we receive. And that showing forgiveness doesn't earn the the forgiveness that we show others or the forgiveness we receive from God. When we do those things, it doesn't doesn't earn us anything in God's sight. Instead, the opposite is true. Jesus tells us that we're able and we're eager to show mercy to other people because he has first shown mercy to us. We're able and we're, we're willing and we desire to forgive other people when they do things to us only because Christ has first forgiven us. In the same way, when we come to Matthew 7, we see that by by being judgmental, or, if we want to put it another way, by being unmerciful or unforgiving, when we're judgmental, we're showing, we're demonstrating that we either never have or currently aren't living in light of the forgiveness and the mercy that we've experienced through Christ in the gospel. Let me say that again. When we're judgmental, when we judge other people, what we're showing is that we either never have or we aren't currently living in light of the forgiveness and mercy that Christ has shown us in the gospel. We're showing that there's something wrong with our hearts, that we don't fully understand the grace that God gives us in the gospel. Let's look at this example. Notice here that Jesus' emphasis, he's talking about our brother. And he's not talking about uh, those people who we share the same parents with. He's not saying that, uh, you know, we can can judge everyone else except our family. He's talking about believers. He's talking about our fellow believers in Christ. But, you know, just like, uh, it doesn't mean that it's okay for us to judge non-Christians. We can't judge our fellow believers, but we can judge non-Christians. It doesn't mean that. And I think that we, we can see that by him telling us to love even our enemies. Don't just love your friends. That's, that's not enough. Everybody does that. Instead, we have to love our enemies as well. And I think that applies to not judging them, not being judgmental towards them. So he's talking about everybody, but his emphasis is on how we treat fellow believers. And I think that, that for us here at BC that uh, we might especially need to hear this. That, you know, we're, we're a young church, uh, both in church age and people age. Uh, and, you know, new in the community, we might be prone to think that because we do things this way, because we think this thing, because we believe this thing, that we're better than other churches. We're better than that church. We're better than this church. We're better than those people because of the freedom we have, or because of how we think exactly God saves people, or what we think about this doctrine or that doctrine. But they disagree with us too. And in these situations, I think that we need to recognize that we have far more in common with them than we have with anybody else. And so just like we shouldn't be judgmental towards our enemies. We shouldn't be judgmental towards those people who we share a common bond with in Christ. Um, Here, I think that what Jesus is pointing out when he gives this example, when he talks about uh, the log and the speck, that he's pointing out that uh, a lot of times when we have a judgmental attitude towards other people, it's usually, it's often, because there is sin in our lives that we're trying to cover up. We, we know the log is there. But we don't want anybody to see it. We don't want to acknowledge that it's there. And so we're just going to focus on everybody else. And I think the best example of this uh, comes from the life of King David. If you know much about his life, uh, somewhere in Second Samuel 7, David sees this woman on a roof. And he thinks, I'd like her to be my wife. And so, even though he has plenty of wives already, even though she's married to someone else, he takes her as his wife. A few weeks, maybe months go by, and she finds out she's pregnant. The problem with that is that her husband is on the battlefield. He hasn't been home for a while. And so her adultery is going to become known both to her husband and the community. So David decides he's got to figure out some way to cover it up. So he calls Uriah back from the battle to ask him something and then tries to convince him to go to his wife's house so that he can cover up the infidelity. But Uriah, being a, a good man, a righteous man, says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. When, when my men are on the front lines, I'm not going to go to my house. I'm going to sleep here. So David has to come up with another way to cover it up. So what he does is he decides he's going to kill Uriah. He's not going to do it himself. He's not going not to do it like a man. Instead, he's going to send Uriah to the front lines and he's going to pull back the army. So that Uriah is left all alone and is killed by the enemy. But he might as well be killed by David's own hand. And then Nathan the prophet, he comes up to David. He tells him this parable. He says, there's a rich guy and there's there's a poor man. And they live in the same village. Now the rich guy has has a whole lot of sheep, has a whole lot of herds, has, has lots of animals. But this poor man just has one uh, lonely little lamb. That's all he's got. And because it's his only lamb, he he takes care of it uh, more than probably anyone else would ever take care of an animal. the, the, The Bible says that he actually treats it as if it's his own daughter. He cares for it. And this visitor comes to town, this stranger, stays with the rich man. And even though the rich man has, has all these animals at his disposal, he has this, this wealth at his disposal, he decides that he doesn't want to kill any of his animals for the guest. And so he takes this poor man's lamb, the, the only thing he's got, he takes it and he kills it and he, and he feeds it to the guy for dinner. And when David hears this, when he hears what the man does, he, he gets angry he's furious he reacts he says as the Lord lives the man who has done this deserves to die and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity Nathan responds by saying David that story is about you you're the rich man You're you're the one who's in the wrong. And David was, was so furious that this rich man took a sheep, a lamb, an animal. And he had done far worse. He had coveted another man's wife. He committed adultery. He lied. And finally, he killed someone, not just a lamb, not just an animal, but someone created in the image of God. He destroyed it. And I think just like David, when, when we are prone to be judgmental of other people, a lot of times it means that there is some big sin in our own lives that we know about that we're trying to cover up. We're trying to act like we're supposed to act about sin, knowing that we don't take care of it in our own hearts, in our own lives. As we move to the last verse... Uh, I said at the beginning that the main point of this passage is that we should be discerning, but not judgmental. We talked a lot about uh, not being judgmental. And in the sixth verse, we're going to talk more about discernment. Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus here is giving us an example, an illustration, kind of a proverb or a metaphor about how other people might treat us because we are his followers. And so I think that the sacred thing that he's talking about, he's talking about truth, about biblical truth. Probably there's a focus on the gospel itself. And the fact that he he says that, that it's a pearl, don't cast your pearls before the pigs. He's emphasizing that the gospel, the truth, should be valuable to us, should be precious to us. We should care about it. It's what we should seek more than anything else. We've just just seen that in Matthew 6. But Jesus says, don't give them to the dogs and pigs. And these aren't cute, cuddly animals that that might talk and be in a Disney movie. These these are vicious, wild animals animals. Dogs at this time would have most likely been wild. The pigs, uh, the pigs in this area, were, they, they think were descended from boars, wild boars. And so these are things that, that would attack you if you gave them a reason and if they wanted to. And I think that, that what Jesus is saying, how he uses this, this metaphor, he's saying that once they realize that we're not giving them something that they want, they're going to turn on us and attack us. Think about this. Why shouldn't we feed bears when we go out in the woods and they tell us, don't feed the bears? Is it because our food is is really harmful for bears? I don't think so. Because if you're alone in the woods and there's a bear and you have a sandwich and you give the bear the sandwich, I don't think the bear is going to think that's as filling of a meal as you wish he did. And after he eats that sandwich, he's going to look around for more food and you're it. It's the same way in this this metaphor that Jesus is using. The the dogs and the pigs, they want food. But you give them something that's sacred. You give them pearls. And once the dogs and the pigs figure out that they can't eat that, that it's not going to satisfy them, they're going to turn on you. They're going to go on you. They're going to attack you. And I think that what Jesus is telling us by using this is that some people are going to be our friends. Some people are going to love Jesus and love the gospel. And other people are going to be our enemies. Other people are going to hate him. They're going to hate the gospel. They're going to hate us because we love it. And as hard as it is to understand, Jesus is saying... Don't waste time and energy on them. One of the the posts that I read said, uh, it said the dogs and hogs of Matthew 7 are out on Twitter today. And if you've ever spent any time reading any Christian website that allows comments, you know that there are people out there who just hate the gospel. They just spew inflammatory words, inflammatory comments. And what Jesus is talking about here is that it's a waste of time to engage them. It's a waste of time to to spend time crafting a response to their comment, trying to convince them that the gospel is true. Now I realize that this is a harsh word. To say that we shouldn't waste time communicating the gospel to to someone who hates it. That's harsh. That's hard for us to understand. Let me say what I don't think it means. It doesn't mean that we never share. It doesn't mean that we we don't ever try to, to convert these people who represent themselves as those who hate the gospel. It doesn't mean that one day they won't get saved. It doesn't mean that God can't change their hearts. It doesn't mean that. What I think it means is that unless if we know who these people are, if we know that they are people who continually reject the gospel, that unless we feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit, it might be wiser not to share with them. It might be wiser not to provoke them to anger with the gospel. Let me explain. I have somebody in my own life who I would characterize as this way. They, they hate the gospel. They hate uh, everything it stands for and pretty much everything we believe. Now, I know this person. I know, that, I know that in the past I have shared with them the gospel. I've clearly articulated to them what I believe and what I think the Bible says and, and it didn't go well. They did not respond well. And so now, you know, every, every time I'm around this person, sometimes I, I feel like I should share more with them. Sometimes I feel like I shouldn't say anything. But every single time I'm around them, I don't call them to repent and believe. I don't. I don't do that every single time I see them but I do look for opportunities to speak truth into their life. I do look for opportunities to, to represent the gospel and how I live or how I treat my wife or how we parent our kids. I look for ways to speak truth into their lives even though I don't tell them what the gospel is every time I see them. I think that in situations like this, when we, when we do these things, when we treat people that way, even though we know that they're hostile to the gospel, this is us not casting our pearls before swine. There's this, this proverb that I think that kind of sums up what Jesus is saying in this verse. Proverbs 9.8 says, Don't reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. I think Jesus is saying a very similar thing. He's saying that you talk to someone who hates you and they're just going to hate you back. as we seek uh, to be those who exemplify the type of character that Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, those who, who love not only their friends, but also their enemies, also those that, that hate us, I think that we need to take Jesus' words about, about being discerning and about not being judgmental to heart. We need to apply those to our heart. As we recognize that We're not the judge. I'm not the standard of what's right and wrong. You're not the standard of what's right and wrong. We don't get to decide these things. But just because we shouldn't be judgmental doesn't mean that we can't be discerning. It doesn't mean that we can't say, God says this is right, God says that is wrong. We can't uphold the truth of Scripture for what it is. We can be discerning without being judgmental. I think the most important thing that we need to discern more than anything else is about ourselves. We need to recognize that that like this person Jesus describes in in verses 3 through 5 that we are always always, 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 always going to have logs in our own eyes. as the the Holy Spirit continues to to help us grow in the gospel when we do that we're going to know and experience more of God's perfection about who he is and what his character is and and when we do that when we see those things and learn those things our own imperfection is going to be even more evident to us this is why Paul uh, in Timothy can say that he is the foremost sinner he says I'm worse than everyone else and obviously, Paul didn't know everyone else. But what he's saying is that he knows his own sinfulness more than he could know anyone else's. And in the same way, in this passage, we're, we're always going to be able to see our own sin more clearly. No matter how much the, the Spirit renews our minds, no matter how much the Spirit transforms our heart, no matter how much more the Spirit conforms us into Christ's image, no matter how much, we're always going to know more of our own sinfulness, the wickedness of our own hearts more than anyone else's. And I think if it doesn't, if our own sin doesn't stand out to us more than others, then it probably means that we're not actually looking. We're not really trying to see it. As we move to celebrate the Lord's Supper together as a body. I think we should be reminded of the fact that we've, we've seen tonight that there's only one judge. There's only one. It's not us. It's not me. It's not you. It's God. And all of us, no matter, no matter who we are, no matter how old, young, man, woman, no matter where we're from, we're all going to have to stand before His judgment. But the Lord's Supper reminds us. The Lord's Supper reminds us that someone died on our behalf. That His body was broken. His his blood was poured out on the earth for us. And that when He did that, when He died on the cross for us, He paid the penalty that we were due. He bore the judgment that, that we deserved and are deserving. I think that when we come forward tonight, together, after we've considered our hearts, we've, we've looked for, for the planks that do exist in our eyes. We've looked for those areas in which we're judgmental towards other people. We've asked the Spirit to challenge us and convict us. After we've done those things and confessed those things, when we come forward, we should celebrate together. Because the Lord's Supper means that when we stand before God, we're not going to be judged on what our merits are, but His. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You are the judge. That You are the standard for right and wrong and that we are not. We thank you that even though we fall so very short of your standard of what's right, that you sent your Son into the world. He met your standard. And he lived and he died and he rose again for us. And that on the cross you gave him the punishment that we deserve for our sins. And that because of that, we can have hope that one day He's going to stand before you for us. We ask that your Spirit would help us to see the logs that are in our eyes. Your Spirit would make us more concerned about our own sin than we are about other people's. That we would praise you for what you've done and for who you are. It's in Jesus name we pray.